you for listening to this message from Life in the Sun Christian Fellowship. We hope you'll be inspired to honor God and make disciples. As I mentioned earlier, Valentine's is coming up. And uh, the theme this week uh, for our new series is love. And uh, oftentimes in today's society, there's all kinds of ideas about love that get spread uh, through the media. It's on the internet, it's in books, it's on TV, it's in the music, it's, it's everywhere. And, um, and so it's very common for us to have to work through a lot of perceptions and attitudes about love. And so uh, this next two weeks is a new series about real love and real marriage in the context of our relationship with God and, and his love for us. And so uh, the series is called The Heart Truth. And uh, that little graphic there is symbolic of a newspaper, which represents media. And the blacked out portions represent that there's so much information out there in the media that we've got to filter through you know, what is and what is not a part of what God originally intended. And as we filter through using the word of God, uh, we're trusting that in the end what will be left is the heart truth of what is real love and real marriage, even if it's the hard truth. And so uh, this need to define what is real love and real marriage is not new uh, to our generation. It's been a need in all the generations. And as you know, uh, one of the most popular chapters in the Bible about the topic of love is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And that's going to be our text for today. If you would open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we're going to look at verses 1 through 8. A little bit of background as you're finding your place. Uh, Corinth was one of the greatest cities of Greece as far back as the 8th century B.C. It was um, a large city, a population of about 75,000 people. And uh, there, the church had been birthed, and there were Christians, there were believers in that city. And the Apostle Paul needed to meet some of the needs they had to be established in God's kingdom. And he was dealing with some misconceptions that they had about love and about marriage. So just to give you an example of what Corinth was like, uh, Lawrence, uh, Corinth was a very popular business center in the old world. They had uh, two harbors that gave access to Asia and to Italy. And <clears throat> Corinth was uh, actually destroyed by the Romans in about 146 B.C., and then rebuilt again by the Romans under Julius Caesar in 44 B.C. And they had this very interesting, kind of weird, uh, spiritual environment. Because there were several temples in the city of Corinth. Uh, One of them was the Temple of Aphrodite. Thank you, Van. One of them was the Temple of Aphrodite. And um, the Temple of Aphrodite was on a hill just outside the city, and it was known to have temple prostitutes. And they had this weird teaching that in order to experience enlightenment, you had to have sexual love with the prostitutes in the temple. That was, that was Corinth. 
back in that day. They also had the temple of Dionysus. Uh, The temple of Dionysus was the temple of intoxication and wine. And they also had the temple of Isis, which was the temple of the goddess of magic. And so just imagine this very dark spiritual environment in this city that was uh, a thriving commercial city. When you, when you think of this as a business center, think New York, Hong Kong, Singapore, London. In the old world, it was like one of those cities. And it was also very spiritually dark. And it was, it was in this context that the Apostle Paul needed to speak truth into the lives of the believers there because they were surrounded by this so-called culture. And so he wrote to them the book of 1 Corinthians. And so we're going to take a look at uh, this passage of Scripture to see what Paul had to say about what is real love and what is real marriage. And one of the first things that he deals with is how important is love? How important is love? And so keep that in mind as we look, as we look at the first three chapters of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 8. Paul said, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Verse 2, And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Now, there are several observations that we can make from this passage and about Corinth. Number one, they were Greeks. They were great orators. Spiritual gifts are useless if not used in love. Love is the main evidence of maturity in Christ. And Paul was not discounting the use of spiritual gifts. He was simply arguing for the necessity and the supremacy of love if we're to represent God's heart. All in all, in summary, God, Paul was saying it's all about the heart. It's all about the motivation. We can have all these gifts, we can have these abilities, we can have these strengths, but if we're not motivated out of love, then it doesn't benefit others and it doesn't benefit us. Moving on to verse 4, Paul deals with the question of how is love expressed? How is love expressed? And so in verse 4 we read, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. I don't know about you, but as I was preparing for this message, I was convicted by that standard. Because how many times uh, have I fallen short of living out that description of how love is expressed? I mean, uh, just this week, Terry and I were preparing for the volunteers' appreciation, and we were uh, doing thank you cards for over 100 volunteers, and I decided, you know, it'll help if I can use my computer and the printer and just format it so the card will fit in the printer, and working out all the details to do that over there in the office, and Terry was dropping me off, and she, I said, yeah, I'm, I'm working on the thank you cards with the printer at the office, and she said oh, really? How does that work? And what she meant to say was, maybe I could do that with my cards too. But being a guy, being logical, I heard, what is the technical steps in order to put the card in the printer? (laughs) 
And I hadn't slept much that night. And I was hungry. And I let out a deep sigh in the car and I went, I said, do you really want to know how the printer works with the cardstock paper? And she said, you know what? Just go ahead and go. She said, when you're, when you're tired and you're hungry, you're cranky. <laughs> and I got out of the car and I just went, man, I just blew it. <laughs> you know, and how many times has that happened? You know, driving in the car one day, and we're going to go with my kids to eat at Subway, and they said, well, why don't we get it to go? And I was really hungry, and I said, with an irritated voice, I said, no, let's stay in to eat. <laughs> and my oldest daughter said, somebody is hangry. <laughs> you know, it doesn't say love is patient and love is kind if you're on top of your game. It just says love is patient and love is kind. I thought, Lord, I was so convicted. We're challenged by God's word to represent his heart. Amen. I was watching a video on YouTube, and it was a debate between some Christian apologists. Apologists doesn't refer to giving apologies for the faith, but it refers to arguments, rational arguments for the faith is apologetics. So some Christian apologists were debating with some atheists. And as I was watching the debate go on, there was one of the three people on the panel for the Christian apologist, and he was actually very rude. You know, he was correct in his thinking. He had the word of God. He, he knew that it actually makes more sense to look at the intelligent design of the universe and realize that there's a creator behind it. It actually makes more sense to ascribe to the theory of intelligent design as opposed to the theory of random chance that all of this came to be. If you were walking out in the woods or in nature or in the jungle and you came upon a hill and you saw a series of steps that went up the mountain, the natural conclusion would be, whoa, who put those steps going up the mountain? And we're just talking about inanimate matter. We're not even talking about anything that's alive. But you know when you see sequence and you see form that Somehow there's intelligent design behind that. And, and you could go infinitely beyond in complexity when you talk about the DNA molecule and the gigabytes and terabytes times a billion of amounts of information that are stored in a single molecule of DNA. And you have to go, wow, there's incredible intelligent design behind that. Scientists are now trying to use that pattern to figure out how they can condense more and more information into smaller spaces. You know, it used to be that, you know, if you wanted several terabytes of information, it would take a computer room the size of this auditorium. And now you can hold like three or four terabytes in the palm of your hand. And if you shrink that down a million times more, we're talking about what you can store in a single cell of a living organism. And it's just amazing what God has done. And so this apologist representing a panel of three in this debate, you know, he had his ducks in order, but to be honest, his character didn't represent love. He was rude. He was interrupting. He was personal in his statements toward the other team. And at one point he made a comment and I went, man, I said, just be quiet. (laughs) It was embarrassing. And I have to say, 
he, he blew his witness. He blew his testimony. Although logically he, he understood what the truth was, he wasn't able to testify and witness to the difference that God makes in our heart. And you know, you can have all the right answers. You can know all kinds of things. But if you don't represent God's heart of love, we lose the testimony. We lose the witness in our relationships with people. I could know how the printer works and tell her all of it. But if my attitude is, ugh, then who wants to hear that? Another thing about this standard of love, and I, I should insert this perspective, that it's all about being patient and being kind toward the other person. It's other-centered. And oftentimes, our definition of love, we confuse love with lust. And the difference between the two is lust is self-serving. It's about me and what I think and what I want and my need. But when we truly love according to Christ, it's about the other person and what they need and what will build them up and what will encourage them. And so I'm, I'm deeply convicted by the standard of, of love. I'm so glad that God has not left us to try and figure life out, but he's spoken the truth in love. Amen? Amen. Moving on to verse 6 and 7. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And so here in this passage, the Apostle Paul is dealing with how is love expressed. And then as we go on to verse 8, and then we're going to skip to verse 13, he talks about how long does love last. And he says, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. So down to verse 13, now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. And so here he talks about the question of, you know, how long does love last? And because it lasts forever, he comes full circle in the end. and He comes all the way back to how important is love. And because it lasts forever, love is the most important thing of all. How important is love? Now abide faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. I just want to share with you on those three attributes. Wherever you see those three attributes in a person's life, you're seeing the work of God. Faith, hope, and love all come from him. Whenever a person is losing faith, whenever they're losing hope, and whenever they're losing their ability to be able to love, what you're seeing is the enemy at work. And that's a key to know, you know, what's going on spiritually? What's the dynamic here? And just look at those three qualities by themselves. And you can get an indicator of what the influence is, where it's coming from. It's very important for us to be able to represent God's heart as we, as we seek to be a witness. As you're in relationship with people at the office, with your family at home, uh, with your neighbors, uh, this is the all-important thing in order to represent God's heart. Amen? But the thing is, we can't give what we don't have. He's the source. 
And we have to receive it from him first. And unless we're experiencing it from him, then we don't have an abundance to be able to share with others. There are some issues that get in the way of being able to express God's heart. And I want to talk a little bit about getting past the obstacles. It's possible to have two opposing beliefs simultaneously. On the one hand, I can know that the greatest and foremost commandment is to love God and to love others. And yet, on the other hand, I can have these other beliefs somewhere in the back of my heart, like, you know what? People are going to reject me, and so I'm just going to protect myself by keeping an emotional distance or a relational distance. That's just one example. And so how do we get past some of these obstacles? Um, There are many. Uh, There can be um, hardness of heart. You know, talking about love and marriage, one day some Pharisees came up to Jesus and they said, you know, um, why did Moses permit divorce? And Jesus said, you know, God never intended that from the beginning. That was not his intention. That was not his design. But because of the hardness of your heart, Moses permitted it. And so the Bible does talk about a spiritual condition called a heart of stone. And because of many hurts that we experience throughout a lifetime, we can develop these bricks in the wall that we build until it's almost as if we're like a fortress. And we can develop this insensitivity and this hardness to people around us as a way of protecting us. And we think we're getting protected by it, but in actuality, what's happening is we're we're isolating ourselves from people and from relationships. And so there are these obstacles to overcome when it when we're, we're talking about representing God's heart. Heart of stone is one spiritual condition. There's, there's another called spiritual slumber. And spiritual slumber is when it's kind of like our conscience is asleep. And we're asleep to the presence of God. And we're asleep to the activity of God around us. But the Bible says there's hope because there are many places in the Bible where it says awake, awaken. Awaken to God. And you often hear about revivals where there was an awakening, where people became aware of the presence of God and the activity of God in their midst. So there's hardness of heart. There can be spiritual slumber. Another one is spiritual captivity. And this was a condition that I used to have, and many of you could probably relate to this. But do you ever feel like there's more to life to experience out there? It's like, it's just out there if I could just reach it. But somehow I feel like someplace in my life, in the back of my heart, there are limitations that keep me from being able to experience the fullness of what God intended. And I don't know what that is. And oftentimes there's a condition called spiritual captivity. But the good news is this. Jesus came to set the captives free. And only he can free us from those limitations that are somewhere in the back of our mind or in the back of our heart. But he can do that. Sometimes there's a condition called performance orientation. I feel like I have to strive and to work and perform for approval. And that can wreak all kinds of havoc on relationships. <clears throat> I, I, used to, I used to have that big time. I was a workaholic. And it was common for me to work 12, 14, 16 hours a day and not blink an eye about it and miss dinner and miss homework with the kids. And we were hurting because of it. You know, and thank God that he healed me and he freed me from that so that my heart came back home. And it wasn't too late. The kids were still pretty young at that time. But yeah, performance orientation can can really do a number on our relationships. Another one is something called parental inversion, where we're afraid that our needs are not going to get met, and so we try to control circumstances and people around us 
in order to ensure that our needs will be met. But that has all kinds of problems. Because in the kingdom of darkness, it's characterized by domination, manipulation, and control. But in the kingdom of God, it's characterized by honor. And so when we're operating in fear and we're trying to control people and things, we're actually not representing God or his kingdom. You know, the weird thing about sin, we, use, we often think that sin are those things that are obviously wrong, like stealing, things like that. But the real insidious nature of sin is when we think we're doing something right, but we're actually not. That's the nature of the sarks. That's the Greek word for sin. It's very deceitful. And so we have all of these conditions. These are obstacles. And if you identify with any of that and and you'd like to learn more about getting free, I'd encourage you to consider that course 201 that's happening on March 26th and 27th. Um, We talk about those conditions, how to identify them and how to pray through them and how to get free from them. But, you know, not everybody is available to be able to do that Friday nights and all day Saturday for six weeks. And so I want to share with you something simple that you can do every day, and it's free. And it's something that the early church practiced, and that is having time alone with God on a regular basis in silence and solitude. And it's a time where you just get quiet. You can go sit in your car or someplace where you can be alone and quiet. And you just kind of go into prayer and just kind of let your mind descend into your heart and connect with God. And just not do anything, not pray anything, don't say anything, just be with the Lord and fellowship with him. And just receive his love and receive his forgiveness and his grace. And just let that flow into your heart, those places where you're thirsty, you need comfort, you need to know that you're accepted, that you're approved, that God loves you, that he's for you, that he's forgiven you, that you have his favor. And just meditate on that for like five minutes. I call it soaking prayer. And just abide in him. And the Lord calls us to do that. He calls us to abide in him and just to be in his presence. And just do that three times a day. And I guarantee you that you're going to begin to have an ability within you to feel a sense of well-being and to be at peace and to be at rest. And then you'll be able to share that with other people. You know, we can't give what we don't have. And so we have to take time to receive. And in the Christian life, it's all about receiving first. He came to give. He came for us to receive salvation. And then it's out of his love and his grace that we have something to offer. But sometimes we get so busy, we're striving, we're performing, we've got schedules, we've got deadlines, and we just get rushed and we get harried in our thinking and in our heart. And it's like we're just going too fast. We're going a million miles an hour. We don't take time just to be in his presence. You know, and that was the difference between Mary and Martha, you know, when Jesus was in their home. You know, Mary sat at his feet and Martha was busy making sandwiches that Jesus never ordered. And she was complaining, you know, my sister, she's not helping me. And he said, Mary has chosen the better part and it will not be taken from her. And I just want to encourage you to be the same way, just to be still and soak in his presence and let him fill your heart. And then as he does, you'll have something to give. Amen. Amen. Jesus expressed the fullness of God's love. He said, this is how God showed his love among us. 
He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Amen. Getting past the obstacles, God, there is a way. He will complete the good work that he began in you. And all you have to do is keep your eyes on Jesus. It's so easy to get distracted and keep our eyes on our circumstances or my debt or this relational problem or whatever it is. But I just want to encourage you to keep your eyes on him, stay connected to him, and he'll complete the good work that he began in you. Amen? Let's pray. I'd like to ask, invite the worship team to come on up. So as you do, um, just settle in your heart and turn your attention toward him. And in the privacy of your mind and heart, I just want you to imagine the Lord's presence because that's true. He is here. I just want you to take a moment in the stillness and the quietness within you to connect with God. Father, sometimes it's difficult to be still and to know that you are God. Lord, there are so many concerns and burdens that press upon us. And Lord, even the abiding and the trying to be still can even turn into a striving and a self-effort. But Lord, help us just to surrender and to give up trying and let you come and impart your peace and impart the rest that comes by faith. And so, Lord, we simply turn to you and say, God, I need you to fill my life, to bring it in order, Lord, to bring my mind and heart under your order. And so, Jesus, would you come and fill me with your presence? And, Father, by your sovereignty and by your power, would you establish me in my place in Christ? Father, I take my place in you. And thank you that you accomplished the great exchange on the cross through Jesus. My old life for the new life that is regenerated, that is renewed, that is transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I rely completely on you to activate the work that you've already done in my present. And so come, Lord. 
and simply be with me. And I with you. Father, thank you for your great love. Thank you for this amazing gift of life. Father, we lift our hearts to you and say thank you and we worship you and we love you.